and so we, we used to do this thing, it was called like Bible karaoke. Um, we haven't done that in a while, so we're going to read some verses together. Uh, they're going to be on the screen. I'm going to read the stuff that's kind of just plain text. What's highlighted is what you're going to read. You'll see the difference here in just a second. Um, it starts like this, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 5 through 9. It says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, all of us together. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It goes on. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. We, what, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here we go all together, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, as we dive in to unpack your word and your truth, Lord, may we see that this life, this simple life, the abundant life that you make possible is one where we practice. It's not, perf- it's not perfect. It's not perfection. It's progress. It's process and practice. And that we get to do that alongside of you, right? The, the God of peace, right, does this with us. It's the with God life, not the without God life. God, you are working around us. You are working in us. You are working through us, Father. You are renovating and restoring our lives. And so, God, today I pray as we open your word and as we unpack the, the last piece of this letter, that was written to people just like us a long time ago. Lord, that this scripture would come alive today, especially in, in light of what we're talking about, something that so many of us face, something that, that so many of us are surrounded by worry and doubt and, and anxiousness and anxiety. God, I pray today that, that that peace, that we would experience that in a whole new way. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Everybody said? So in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I got the opportunity to work with an organization called CMF, Christian Missionary Fellowship. They were working in Kenya, specifically with the Maasai tribe. So spent pretty much my entire summer in Kenya, not like in cities, like we drove forever, what felt like days, until the road literally ended, right, into a dirt road, and then we drove some more, and we got out into uh, what was called like the Maasai Mara. Um, so that's where the Maasai tribe, uh, that's kind of where they live. That's their tribal territory. And so one afternoon, it was a great trip. I mean, I learned a ton uh, through working with this organization, learned a ton. It was my, one of my first international trips. Um, so it was like, why not just go cannonball into the deep end, right? So about three weeks in, one afternoon, I started feeling kind of sick. And it was one of those things where, you know, we had a, we had a doctor on our team that, that brought medication with them, things like that. Um, and so I started feeling kind of cruddy, like I had a little stomach bug, something like that. Like woke up that morning not feeling super great. And, and I started thinking, well, maybe it was the food. But the food that we had eaten the day before was pretty much the same food we'd been eating the whole time. So I'm like, that's not, that's not, I've said settled well in the past. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's just the heat, right? Maybe it was hot. I just got a little too, like too much, too, got too hot, too much heat, too dehydrated, those kinds of things. No, it wasn't that because I'd pretty much acclimated at this point. And so that morning started feeling kind of sick. By evening, I was sure I was going to die. Like, this is it. Uh, my stomach hurt. I was nauseous. My head was pounding. I was sweaty. I had no energy. It was lethargic. And it was kind of scary, right? Because we were out, we had, we had backpacked out following one of our guides to where, where a tribe w- was, where a village was. And so we were out in the middle of nowhere. There was, you know, the, the truck took us to a trailhead, essentially, dropped us off. And then we hiked for about 10 hours to get back into where the, the village we were going to be staying in. And so I was thinking to myself, this is it. 
Like, I hope that, that someone will send a nice letter to my parents and tell them that I love them, right? This is how I'm going to go out. And, and then people are going to ask one day, like, how did Brad die? Was it like, did he, was he killed by like tribal warriors? No, no. Was it a lion? No. Cheetah, maybe. No. Poisonous mamba, right? Like, was it something cool? No. Here's what, here's what killed Brad. A microscopic organism that came from a creek behind a Christian school for kids. Right? So this is what happened. I, I developed, I had water or whatever got into my mouth, right? And so I, there was an amoeba. There was some creature living within me right? that, was, that was beginning to make me sick. And here's the, here's the truth. For us in our lives, there are lots of external threats, right? There's lots of external threats when it comes to our lives. And while terrible things can happen to us, right, for the most part, we can kind of mitigate or lessen these external threats to our lives by just avoiding them, right? By staying safe, by being cautious, by, by having common sense. Because here's the deal. Most of the time when it comes to external threats in our lives, right, the ones we can see coming, we're aware of the risk, we're aware of the risk. That seems risky. We know how to run away or maybe even not even put ourselves in, into harm's way or dangerous situations to begin with. But here's the deal. There's these unseen kind of microscopic, never saw it until it was already living inside me too late moments, these invisible threats. Those are the ones that usually cause the most damage because by the time we notice them, it's already too late. We feel sick. And so you fast forward, it's about six years ago. In the course of what I thought for me was just normal life. Right, been married, got two kids. We just moved into a new house. I got a promotion in the church where I was working. I was in a leadership position. In fact, when I became a believer in Jesus at 17, 16, 17 years old, I wanted to be my youth pastor, right? I wanted, I wanted to have the, the job that he had. I wanted to, to, to sit in that seat. And now here I was, promoted into that spot, right? Leading, heading up uh, the, the ministry area where I even discovered Jesus, right? I kind of always imagined myself in that role, always wanting that role. So it was like one of those things, like this was a major life uh, accomplishment for me. And most of my, most of the external threats, right? In my home, with my marriage, my wife, my kids, those things have been dealt with, right? There weren't really any landmines to step on. Like there wasn't something that was just going to come out of nowhere, the thing that I've been working so long to get right, I had, and yet I woke up, found myself nauseous, found myself in physical pain, found myself searching for answers, and not just scared, but incapacitated by fear, and completely oblivious to what might be causing all of this. I thought... Like most of us think when we find ourselves in these situations, it's got to be something physical, right? It's got to be a physical threat. There's got to be something here that's physical. It can be treated. It can be seen on a CT scan. It shows up on a blood test. This can be fixed, right? The answer to this is something that can be fixed. And I can remember sitting in yet another doctor's office hearing the same infuriating thing that I had been hearing for almost a year, and that was this. Brad, we can't find anything physically wrong with you. And I guess that particular doctor just happened to be kind of the last straw. So I responded with, well, keep looking. Keep looking. There's got to be an answer here. Because here's the deal. On the outside, if you would have just looked at my life, if my life would have just been kind of written out on a piece of paper on the outside, you would go, this dude has it. He made it. He made it. He's set. And I kept thinking the same thing. Like, why? Like, what is going on? Because all the stuff that I'd spent almost 20 years of my life working for, I now had. I'd made it. I crossed the finish line to a certain degree, right? There's no way that there's some other invisible threat, right? There's got to be another diagnosis, but there wasn't. My doctor was right. He said, 
Here's what I think's happened, Brad. I think that there's something more going on here. It's not just physical. Maybe it's some part spiritual, some part mental, some part emotional. And he was right. Because what had happened was my life had just run into the wall of anxiety and depression at about 1,000 miles an hour because that's how fast I moved most of the time. And what I've continued to learn over the last six years is this. The silent invader for me got, actually got in undetected a long time ago. It wasn't just in that moment. It had been a part of my life. It had been kind of growing and feeding on my insecurities. It had been growing and feeding on all these performance-driven narratives that said, Brad, if you want people to love you, you're going to have to earn it. Brad, if you want to, to succeed in this, you're going to have to make it happen for yourself. Those kinds of things that used to define me, this was just, it was just feeding this kind of invisible, undetected invader to the point where I had become two things. I was simultaneously sped up in my life beyond my capability, but at the same time, I was broken down beyond my survival. And when it comes to the things for us in life that kind of complicate and muddy up and clutter the aspects of our lives, nothing makes a mess of life like stuff like anxiety and depression. And usually what happens is this, the harder we try to simplify our lives in the face of those two things, the more complex and complicated it gets. And I know I'm not alone because I studied this week. In 2022, right, just a year ago, 18 out of the top 20 prescribed drugs in the United States were drugs that are used for treating anxiety, depression, and high blood pressure caused by stress. And if you want to do more math, that's 90%. 90% of the top 20 medications prescribed in the United States were to treat anxiety, depression, high blood pressure caused by stress. I've been reading or listening to a book called Outlive by this guy named Peter Atia or Atia. I don't know how he says his last name. It's a, a book on tape. And he says this, as a society, we are simultaneously sped up beyond our capacity and capability while also being broken down physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually beyond survivability. And so if you just kind of take this out of your own head for a second, if you can, like for me, right, follow me on this. If you can get out of your head just for a second this morning, think about it like this. If you try to drive like a rusted out old hoopty, like an F1 race car, what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart. It's going to blow up. Why? Because it can't handle that. Right, you watch some of these, I, I don't know if anybody, has anybody here gotten into Formula One racing? Like just through like the Netflix documentaries and stuff like that. It's fascinating. There's more technology in those cars than there are like in the space shuttle. It's wild. But you, you see how fast those cars go and how, how they're designed to handle these high speeds and tent speeds and, and the drivers are even equipped with suits and helmets and stuff like that that allow them to survive the G-forces and the turns and to stay focused on the road in front of them because they're going a, a million miles an hour, not quite that fast, but pretty fast. Like, it's made for that. That thing's made for that. You know what's not made for that? The rusted out old hoopty. It's not made for that. An 87 Suburban, right? An 87 Cutlass. Don't do it. Don't drive an 87 Cutlass like you would drive an F1 race car. Because here's what's going to, it'll fall apart because it's not meant to take that. And so here, here's the deal. Let's put it back in our own lives, right? When your life is the 87 Cutlass, right, in need of some serious care, when it blows up and falls apart because it's moving too fast at the speed of your life, now it's not just you that's in danger. When it blows up and falls apart, the family and the people connected to you that are along for the ride in your life, when things blow up and fall apart, you take them with you. There's a pastor a long time ago said this, worry or anxiety is the gateway to much darker things. 
And research has kind of confirmed this. I, I read this week that there was a recent study within a really large company, their sales force, and it showed that their performance, they had performance-based anxiety. A lot of the people in their sales force had performance-based anxiety. It said, if, if I don't measure up, if I don't meet this metric, if I don't do this, right, then I'm going to lose my job, or somebody's going to be better than me, or they're going to get the bonus, or they're going to get the promotion, or they're going to get the boss's attention, right? This said this, that 78% of the sales force admitted to cheating, lying, cutting corners, spreading false information, even about their own colleagues to clients. Because listen, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, I'm anxious that, that maybe I'm not gonna measure up. So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna cut corners. I'm gonna tell this client over here, hey, don't trust, don't trust Bob. He didn't know what he's talking about, trust me. I'm gonna throw other people under the bus. 78%, almost 80% of the sales force admitted to some sort of lying, cheating, cutting corners because they wanted to make sure that they could measure up. Just in the last few years, you've maybe heard about FOMO or FOBO, right? Fear of missing out or fear of better options. This is anxiety that's related to commitment, right? It's commitment anxiety. And here's what that does. Even commitment anxiety causes us to kind of break our word, what we say to friends or family. We don't follow through on what we say we're going to do. It's like somebody says, hey, listen, can, can we get together? I'd love to do that. And then that FOMO starts, well, if I spend an hour with this person, then I'm not gonna be able to, to do this. Or I might miss out. You know, if I, if I commit to a relationship with this person, I might miss out on a better one. And so what happens is this, we end up breaking our word to the people we care about the most. So commitment-based anxiety ends up costing us things like integrity, character, and there's all kinds of different anxieties, right? There's schedule anxiety, there's relational anxiety, there's financial anxiety, amen, right? Like they all lead to darker and darker and more dangerous paths. And I read this in a book this week. One author said this, anxiety, if left unchecked, leads to sinful states of mind. Yet, if anxiety can be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins, and I love this because Jesus even talks about this. Like Jesus talks about anxiety. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of Jesus's, or the like, quintessential perfect message, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, hey, listen, when it comes to life, don't worry about your life. Because there's more to life than food and clothes. There's more to life than stuff and possessions. There's more to life than what's in your garage or where you live or your address. There's more to life than what your bank account reads. There's more to life than those kinds of things. And he, he kind of points, because he's speaking outside on a hillside, and he points, he said, listen, like, look at the birds. Today when you're driving home, or as you're sitting on your deck this weekend, right, or you're hanging out with friends at a barbecue, look at birds. Just notice the birds that are around you. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't freak out. He says, you know what, if, if that doesn't work for you, look at the grass. Look at the grass and the flowers and the trees. They don't worry about their appearance. Why? Because our Heavenly Father feeds them, and our Heavenly Father makes them beautiful. And then Jesus looks at people like us and says, if he takes care of them, you're way more valuable than birds and trees, or birds and flowers, or birds and grass. If God is so good that he can take care of them, don't you think he'll take care of you? And then he says this, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then Jesus says this, you of little faith. 
which is what we've been talking about for the last seven weeks, right? We've been talking about this simple life that Jesus offers, this simple faith and simple faithfulness. And I read something a long time ago in college that stuck with me about these verses because there's a part of me that reads this, right? Like, like, like you have little faith. Like, man, like, like that seems harsh. There's a part of us that goes like, well, come on, Jesus. Like, give me a break. Like, do you know, what, like, you know what's going on in my life? And he would go, yes. Like, I'm trying, uh-huh. I read this, and I remember this stuck with me because I've always felt like that when I say, if you a little faith, like, whoa, that feels like, that feels like it's coming in a little hot, right? The quote I read said this, it's as, it's as if Jesus is saying to be anxious is to declare to the world that our God is, in fact, not trustworthy. Think about that for a second. Why, why would Jesus say, you have little faith? Well, to be anxious, right? To be worried, to be stressed, to be under that pressure, right? It, it communicates to the world that, that our God is, in fact, not trustworthy. And this is kind of a great jumping off point from what we impact the last couple weeks when it comes to faith and faithfulness. Like we've said several times throughout this series, you and I will be faithful to what we have faith in. All we have to do is watch each other's lives. My life, the way I live my life, will show you what I believe in because I'll be faithful to that. If I were to watch your life, think about this. If I were to watch your life, if, if you were to watch mine, if you're just kind of following me around for a couple of days, what would your life say? What kind of message? What would your life communicate? What would my life, what would our lives as a church, what would our lives say about what we believe to be true about God? Would people, would people be able to see us continue to trust him when things get difficult? Or not? Would they see us fall prey to anxiety? Would they see us come underneath the, the, the stresses of the world and, and, and give in to that? I read this this week as well. It said, the unbelieving world is not impressed by our talking about the Prince of Peace and then seeing our lives fall prey to the stresses and pressure of the world. People are watching our lives, church. That's the truth. Now more than ever, our culture, our culture, when things happen, they start to look at us. I mean, it was like, it's like, even in my family, right, with my boys, who I love, right, when something happens, when something blows up, when something goes wrong, what do they do? Maybe you experience this too. Like something breaks, they drop something, they make a mess. What happens if you're in the room? What do they, who do they look at? You, yeah, they look at your parents. They're like, boom. Am I in trouble? Like what's going to happen? Am I in trouble? Like I'm looking at dad's face. I'm looking at mom's face. Like am I, get, am I getting ready to get grounded? Like what's, what's getting ready to happen? That's how the world looks at the church, right? Something else blows up, falls apart, somebody else dies. Like all, all the stuff that's happening in the world right now, an unbelieving world looks at the church. When something blows up, they go, Poof. what do you guys think? What's happening? Like what are, you, what are they going to do? How are they going to live? How are they going to react? What's, what's their posture? What's their attitude? What does this look like for them? And I think this quote, I mean, it's it's. It's another one that you go, man, the, the unbelieving world is not impressed where we go, oh, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then when something goes haywire, we go, run! I'm not sure anymore. I don't know what I believe in. They're not impressed by that, which is why Paul says what he says in these closing verses in his letter to this church in Philippi. He says, that, says this in verse 6. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. 
If you got your Bibles out or your Bible app, just stop. We're going to pause right here. So, again, I say this most weeks, but if you're taking notes or you're a note taker, there's two ways you can do this. You can actually take notes and try to keep up with me, right? Good luck. Um, Or you can just grab pictures of the screen. Today, you're going to want to do that. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because anxiety and depression, things like that, those are the scourge of humanity right now. And the Bible actually gives us some really great ways to lean into that and to deal with that. So you're going to want to do this. So, So Paul, he starts this kind of like concluding section of the letter says this, the Lord is at hand, don't be anxious about anything. And a, a couple of things for us as we're unpacking this, right? If you're taking notes. Number one, this is not like, this is not written in a passive form or in a passive tense. This is an imperative, right? For those English majors, which means this, it's a command. It's not a, hey, um, y'all, if you can maybe try to not be anxious, if you can do your best to not worry, if you can... Just, just, just do your best to, to not be anxious or don't, don't be stressed. Like, just try it, okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's going, don't be anxious about what? Anything. Don't be anxious about anything, which, let's be real, makes us want to throw something at him, right? If we're being real, we'll be like, no. Like, okay, Paul, right? I won't be anxious about anything. I'm not going to be concerned about anything, right? That's not even realistic, like, there's a part of this, even when I read it this, this week, you know, I've read these verses before. It's like, come on, man. One of the commentaries I read said this, on several occasions, Scripture is clear that anxiety is never godly. And what Paul is communicating to the believer is that the believer is now no longer obligated to worry about their past or their present or their future situations and circumstances. Think about that for a second. It's not that Paul is putting his finger in our chest and saying, you're bad if you're stressed. Paul is not looking at those of us who wrestle with clinical anxiety and mental health going, you're bad. You're bad. You're not as good. You're not a good person. He's not looking at you going, hey, would you just stop? Would you just get over it? Would you just get over your anxiety? That's not what he's saying. He's he's saying, listen, you don't have to be anxious. It's not just don't be anxious. It's you don't have to be. You're no longer obligated to worry like the rest of the world when it comes to your situations and your circumstances. Why? He says, because the Lord is at hand. And this this word at hand means two things, here, present, and near, proximity. Right? So we'd say this, the Lord is at hand. He is here and he is near. That's a beautiful thing. So why don't I need to worry? Why am I not obligated to worry? Because the Lord is both here with me and always near to me. But catch this. The word Lord actually means two things here as well. There's two definitions for the word Lord in this, in this the way Paul uses it. One is of a person that has kind of personal authority, like a parent, right? Like a mom or a dad. And Jesus, he even talks about this in Matthew when he goes to the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says, listen, if you, if, you're, if your son or your daughter comes to you and says, listen, like, I, 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 want, I want some bread, and you give them a rock, or they say, hey, I want a fish, and you, you give them a snake, like, you don't do that. If your kids are hungry, you feed them, right? You don't give your kid a rock to eat, and you don't give your kid a pet snake, poisonous one, right? So maybe some of you do. We can talk afterwards, right? That's not what you do. And Jesus says this, listen, if, if, if you, if you, even though you're sinful, even though you miss the mark, even though we fall flat on our faces sometimes, even though you, if you know how to give good gifts in your mess, 
how much more does your father in heaven know how to do that? Who's perfect. Can you think about that for a second? So the word Lord means two things, personal. It's, it's one who has the authority of a person. It's a perfect parent. And I know sometimes we think like, you know, some of us, we hear the word father. God, you know, God referred to as a heavenly father, our father God. And, and what, what happens in that is we begin to kind of superimpose our own parents or our own father on him. And again, I've said this before, and it's kind of one of those like cheesy pastor sayings, but this, hear, hear me this. God is not the reflection of your father. He's the perfection of your father. So think about that. The Lord is near. The Lord, he is near and he is here. He is here with us and he's near to us. It is, it is, it is proximity and it is presence and his authority, right? He's like a perfect parent. They've got authority in the lives of our kids. But on a bigger deal, right, the second definition of this word Lord is one who is sovereign. So not only does he have a personal relationship with you and in that relationship, he has authority, but he also has authority over everything else. He's the chief, he's the king. So the way we would kind of paraphrase this verse, verses five and six, here's what it would say. We as believers are no longer under the obligation of worry or anxiety like the rest of the world. Why? Because the one who has loving authority over us and who has command authority over everything is near to us and here with us. It kind of begins to change the landscape a little bit. And then in the kind of the conclusion of verse 6, Paul says this, in, in everything, in everything, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So how do we do this? How do we deal with anxiety? Like how does the Bible teach us how to deal with stress, pressure, and anxiety? This, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And so I saw this illustration this week, and so I'm totally stealing it. If you look at this, and maybe you can see, like this is a little tub of water. If this is our lives... This is all the stuff that we try to throw in it, right? So it kind of works like this, whether it's job stuff or family stuff or if students, like it's you're off, you're off this summer, so maybe you're, you're trying to get a summer job or you're trying to, to, to you know, find, find some, some things to do this summer or you're playing for a new team or those kinds of things. It's just life gets crazy. We throw a lot into life. Like life gets pretty wild. Our lives are full of things, and so when people ask us, they'll stop and ask us, how you doing? How many of us, just, hey, just think of it, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of us would say, oh, we're just busy. We're good, but we're busy. I mean, that's kind of my go-to. So, hey, how you doing? It just kind of comes out. I'm fine, but I'm busy. We use this word fine. How you doing? We're fine. We're fine. Do you know what fine means? Freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, Right? That's what fine means. So here's what happens as we come in contact with people because we've got all this stuff in our lives and every, every single one of these things needs to be dealt with. Every single one of these things needs to be cared for and managed. And so when we, when we try to, to put it all together, we try to put it all together for somebody, when we try to hold as many of these down as we can. Right? We try, to, we try to cover as many of these as we can. I'm gonna manage this, I'm gonna control this, but we can only control so much in our lives. There's only so much we can do. As hard as I try, I can't seem to push everything down. I can't seem to push everything. I can't seem to get everything into my control. There's always something. And here's what happens. The second I let up, what happens? They all come back up. It all flows back up to the surface. Even when we walk into church, we want people to believe that we're okay, that our lives are put together. So we try to hide all the stuff that stresses us. Or maybe at work or school or on the teams we play on or in our neighborhoods. We don't want to be seen as that family, right? So what do we do? We hide all our junk. We hide all our stress. We try to push it down and hold it there. But the second we let up, it comes back up. Because guess what? There are other problems in our life that need to be dealt with. 
There are other problems in our lives that need to be dealt with, right? Because we can't deal with it all at the same time. Like we think to ourselves, every person we come in contact with, I cannot let you see the chaos in my life. And Paul would say this, stop trying to hold all this down. Don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because it's okay to let God in on everything. It's okay to talk to God about these things in your life. It's okay. He says, listen, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer, share everything. Talk about it all. And here's the truth, church. You can't hang on to Jesus if your hands are occupied with trying to control and manage every aspect of your life. And so what happens in, the, in prayer? What happens when we begin to, instead of being anxious about things, what happens when we begin to pray? What happens is we begin to release. We take our hands off of the things that we, begin, that we try to manage and control in our own lives. We release those back to God. We say, listen, God, I'm going to talk to you about this. I, I need your help with this. I need, you to, I need you to run this. Because guess what? God's really good at running things. I mean, he created a universe by talking. Think about that. He's really good at this, but the, the reality is we think kind of in our own way, like I know the with God life, that sounds really good, but you know, like I think I can run this. I mean, there are times in my life, I know that I've looked at God and said, hey, listen, um, would you just sit in the back seat for a while and let me drive? Can I, can I drop you off here and come back and pick you up? I, I think I can do this, God. I think I can run this. But what happens is we can't embrace God. Why? Because we're too busy trying to hold our lives together. So in prayer, there's this kind of dual process of both releasing our lives to God so that we can now embrace him and be embraced by him. So how do we begin to release anxiety? Paul says prayer. Number one, prayer. Prayer is this. It's a conversation. The most important aspect of any relationship is communication. You have to communicate. You got to talk. If you're in a relationship with God, you got to talk. Have a conversation. Anytime, and I say this a lot, like people are like, well, how do you hear from God? Let me just tell you the truth. I have never in my life, like the sky has not split open and, and beams of light rain down on me and I've heard the audible voice of God. That's never happened to me. But you know where God speaks to me? When I read his word. I mean, if you wanna know, like how do I hear God? Read this. It's his word speaking directly to you. It shows you, it, it leads you, right? It leads us. Right, so we've got to start this conversation through prayer, through, through reading the word. Right? We've got to get our thoughts out of our head, somewhere where they're visible. For me, I, I'm not a big journaler, but I've, I started about six years ago writing my prayers in a journal. I needed to get all the thoughts, all the anxious thoughts out of my head and out onto paper somewhere. I needed to do a brain dump. And guess what? God was totally fine with that. Like, God, I've got so much mess to bring you today. You know what he didn't say to me? What he, his attitude was like, well, not today, man, Sorry. Brad, I just don't want to deal with you. I've talked to you. Like, we talked a lot, right? I just need a break from you. That's what he says. He's like, bring it, man. What you got? So the way we deal with anxiety, the way we release anxiety, number one is through prayer, a conversation. And then Paul uses this fancy word, supplication, which is the word for requests. So we ask God. God, I need you to get involved in this. I have a request for you. And again, I would, I would encourage you, get a journal, write those down. Write out your prayers. Write out your prayer requests. And then the last thing Paul says is thanksgiving. Acknowledging that God is here with you and near to you. So how do you release anxiety? Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. James 4 says this, is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
that's a promise. As we draw near to God, God draws near to us. So my question is this, why hold parts of your life back or try to hide parts of your life or submerge parts of your life from the one that can actually do something about it and the one who truly cares for you more than anybody else? Church, when it comes to living a simple life, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, they're the simultaneous acts of releasing the worries and concerns of our hearts and our minds and embracing the power and presence of God. That's what it is. When we pray, when we begin to engage God in that conversation, when we put our requests at his feet, and here's the thing, God is not going to be upset with anything you put at his feet. He's not going to go, anything but that. Like God doesn't run away when you're angry. It's like, oh, Brad's mad. Uh, just tell him I went on my lunch break. He's not afraid of that. We can bring whatever to him through those requests that, God, I need you to get involved in this. God, I need your wisdom in this. God, I need, I need your presence in this. Thanksgiving, God, thanks, thanks for caring about me. That's what it looks like. It's the simultaneous act of releasing and embracing. And here's what happens. Here's what Paul says. Starting in verse 7, he says, And the peace, that word peace means completeness or lacking nothing, having all that you need in this moment, right? Trusting that God will provide for you. The word peace, the way you can think of that, peace is anti-worry. Peace is anti-anxiety, right? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which means this, doesn't make sense. And according to Paul, it will even be hard to understand from, and fathom from time to time. People will look at you and go, how can you be so calm? This peace that passes all understanding, this anti-worry that doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I think this is really cool. I heard this for the first time earlier this week. When Paul is referring to peace, right, that anti-worry, that peace of God guarding our hearts, I read something that said he was most likely referring to in that moment the literal guard that he was chained to under house arrest in Rome. So it's kind of like the, 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 he's writing this letter going, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds like Bob, who guards me. I mean, it's crazy when you start to think about that, right? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds kind of like this guy. And what does a guard do? Keeps things out. He's the bouncer at the door. Make sure you stay safe, right? So think about this. The peace of God, the anti-worry of God, guards our hearts and minds from things like anxiety and worry and stress. The peace of God stands at the door of your life and looks at those things and says, you can't get in here. If you want to go, if you want to get to them, you're going to have to go through me. Last summer, I took some guys from, from church. We went out to, to Colorado to this thing called the, the Rocky Mountain Men's Summit. It's in Winter Park. My friend and mentor and pastor Jim Bergen hosted this thing. And, and, and one of the speakers was a Navy SEAL commander. His name was Rourke Denver, which I think part of being a Navy SEAL, the requirement is having a really awesome name, which at this point, the only thing I can believe now is why I'm not a Navy SEAL is because I don't have a cool name. I got everything else, right? I just don't have a cool name. But Rourke Denver, Commander Denver, right? He told us stories about the training process for SEALs, and he told us the stories about some of the combat he experienced in, in Iran and Iraq. And I remember one thing that I wrote down that he said this was, panic is what gets most people killed because it clouds decision-making. 
And he was telling us about how in all of the training that they go through and all the exercises, not just to become a SEAL, but then training for the missions that they're going to go on. They've got all these different mantras and sayings that that are easy to remember that that they can bring up in their heads that that help them stay calm when things are blowing up around them and bullets are flying over their heads. One of the mantras that he shared with us was this, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Being able to slow down enough in a stressful moment to make smooth decisions for somebody like Rourke Denver and his team that he was commanding, that's the difference between life and death. And he said, like, you, you got to be smooth, right? You got to be smooth when you, when you move, when you shift to, you know, from one piece of cover to another, when you are aiming, when you're displacing as a team. You got to do that smoothly. And here's the deal you'll actually do that faster and safer and more efficiently and more effectively when you just slow down. Another mantra that he shared that I use every day is this one calm is contagious. If you panic, guess what? You're going to pass your panic on to somebody else. Panic is contagious. You're going to pass your panic on to somebody else. You're going to take somebody with you. But if you stay calm, others will as well. Again, Jesus' story, right? Jesus takes his disciples, a bunch of high school age guys, young men across the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm while they're in the middle of the lake, right? And they freak out. Where's Jesus? Taking a nap in the back. They go to him, they, they wake him up, like, hey, you've got you've to help us out here. We're going to drown. Don't you care about us? How can you be taking a nap at a time like this? And then Jesus looks into the storm and says, be still. And it stops. And then he looks at his disciples and says, what are you guys freaking out about? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Calm is contagious. And what those guys realized in that moment is like, man, even the wind and the waves obey him. So the next time they're in a storm, guess what they're going to remember? Stay calm. Jesus is with us. This is actually a scientific fact, right? The, the, the way that Jesus does this, right? The way that Jesus talks about this, the way that, that Paul talks about how slowing down, beginning to pray, beginning to get kind of all these things, all these thoughts and emotions and feelings out of our heads and our hearts and out here, right? It's an actual biological fact. And this is the, it's, it's brilliant the way God wired us. The, the fight, flight, or freeze center in our brain is called the amygdala. Right? And it's really small, and it's located deep down in the middle of your brain. And here's the deal. The amygdala processes zero logic and zero reasoning. It's just impulse. It's not even like ready, fire, aim. It's just fire, 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 fire. Like that's kind of what it does, right? There's no getting ready. There's no aiming at all. And they've done studies that show that in intense, stressful, kind of panic-inducing situations, that slowing down, taking a breath, it actually shifts all of the activity in your brain from this tiny little amygdala deep down in the center of your brain to your cerebrum, which is the largest part of your brain that does, the, the, here's what it does. It controls and performs higher functions like interpretation, figuring out fact from fiction. It controls your vision, what you see. It controls your hearing, what you hear, how you process speech, how you reason, how you emote, right? Learning, all the fine motor movement, right? All that kind of stuff. That's all controlled by your cerebrum, right? So, so the, the amygdala is just freak out. But when you slow down, all of that energy transfers to a different part of your brain that controls everything else. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Calm is contagious. And I think it's wild that God wired us up to lean into his peace so much so that when we do, we actually use and engage the majority of our brains. God thought that up. That's his idea. Like just proof of creation and everything, right? When you're, when you're calm, 
you can think straight. And then Paul, he closes out this, this section. He says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, which means this, when, when you're calm, when you begin to take things out of your own head and begin to, to pray into those, right, you begin to offer those up to God, you allow him to jump into your life, he says this, whatever is true, which means when you're calm, you can actually assess what's real and true about a situation or a narrative. When you're calm, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, which means whatever's respectable and good, Whatever is just, you're, you're able to think through the right thing to do in any given situation and circumstance. Whatever is pure, which means this, you're going to check your motives. Nothing's going to be ulterior. You're not looking out for yourself. You're not trying to, 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 to you know, put a bad deal in front of somebody's head. You're, like, you're not doing that kind of You're not trying to take advantage of someone. You're checking your motives, your motivation, your heart. You can do that when you're calm. Because whatever is lovely, like what does your life look like? What are the, decision, the, the decisions and pattern of your life look like? What does that communicate to people? that you're lovely or loving or that you're stressed and freaked out. He says, whatever is commendable, that's a Christ-like attitude and effort. He said, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's not just prayer. It's prayer and it's requests and it's thanksgiving, but it's also doing a thought swap. Did you catch that? Hey, don't think about those threats. Don't think about that. Thought swap. When your brain's in panic mode, you can actually think on these things regardless of these other situations and circumstances. You know, my personal therapist, my personal counselor, he, he specializes in kind of meditation and mindfulness. He's a believer in Jesus. It's not weird, right? But he specializes in meditation and mindfulness. And one of the, th- one of the things that we've learned to do and th- the, some of the skills that he's taught me is how to slow down in situations that are intense and breathe and be able to assess a situation from a place of peace and a place of calm. But he said something early on as we started to kind of get to know one another. He said, you know, when it comes to these kind of, these, these things that we do, these practices that we do in meditation and mindfulness to slow your brain down, to calm yourself, he said, here's the thing, you got to practice. You have to practice. And he said, Michael Jordan didn't only show up for games, right? He practiced, and his practice habits resulted in how he played games. And he's the greatest player of all time. I know LeBron's good. He ain't Mike, Right? Similar to last week, what we talked about is is when it comes to even situations like worry and anxiety, depression, mental health, the simple way of dealing with these things, right, is, is recognizing God is near. He's near in both proximity and presence. That we can pray, we can offer these requests in thanksgiving, and then we can thought swap for all the things that, that are ultimately of him. And here's the result of this. Paul says, here's what it, here's what it did for me. He says this starting in verse 11. He says, I've learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. And this word content, I love this, means strong enough. Think about that for a second. When was the last time that someone said, hey, you don't have to be perfect. Just be enough. Be good enough. He says, listen, like this, I've learned in whatever situation that I'm in that I can be strong enough Am I going to be the strongest one? Am I going to be perfect? Am I going to be able to flex on what? No, I'm strong enough. Man, there's some peace in that. Whatever situation I'm in, I'm strong enough. I'm independent of my circumstances. My circumstances and my situation don't define who I am. I'm independent of that. And he said, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, but also being in hunger, of abundance and need. And here's what he says. 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And this is pretty much the definitive description, right, of the posture and attitude and mindset of a simple, clear, real, right, and true with God life, right? You want to know what the simple life looks like? The life that Jesus desires for us, it's that. It's that. Read Philippians 4, 11 through 13, again and again and again. That's the goal. When we simplify things like this, right, like Paul says in closing out Philippians, he says, it doesn't matter if you're on the summit or if you're in the valley, It doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. He says, in any and every circumstance, you can find peace. Not because of what you can do. Not because of your capability. But through Jesus. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I listened to a story this week about Louis Zamperini. Anybody know who Louis Zamperini is? Just show of hands. Yeah. So there's a movie that they made not not long ago. It's called Unbroken. uh, That's about Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was... He was a distance runner in high school and college, became an Olympic athlete, ran in the Olympics. Uh, But as a young man was drafted into World War II in the Air Force, and his plane crashed, plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean. He was only one of three survivors. They survived for 47 days adrift at sea on a life raft, only to be picked up by the Japanese Navy. And so he spent the rest of that time, he spent the rest of the war in, in a prison camp, right, in, in a POW camp. And because Louis was, was a pretty fit dude, right, Louis was, a, was an Olympic athlete, was a runner, right, he was a guy who had a lot of strength and a lot of stamina, they decided to use him as the example. If we can break him, we can break anybody. And so Louis was the target of all the torture, of, of all the torment. He was tortured, why? Because if we can break him, we'll break the rest. And so the war ends. And they rescue Louis and everybody else. They bring him back home. And when he gets back home from war, he falls into alcoholism, falls into drug use. Because every time he closes his eyes, he says, every time I close my eyes, I can see the faces of the people. Right? I can see the, the hate that he has toward the, the guards and the people that hurt him and hurt his friends and killed his friends. And I read this quote. I'm going to try to pull it up. Because what happened after, after Louis got back, his, his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles and convinced Louis, who had wanted nothing to do with God, wanting nothing to do with Jesus, who was addicted and angry and hurt, depressed, PTSD, nightmare after nightmare, no sleep. She invited him to go to the the crusade, and he went the first night, and Billy Graham said something that offended him, and he left. He walked out, never going back there again. But the next night, he decided to give it one more shot. And he listened to Billy Graham unpack the gospel, listened to Billy Graham talk about Jesus, talked about the peace that Jesus offers, the life that Jesus wants us to have. And in that moment, he came forward and gave his life to Jesus. And he says this, he said, you know, of all the near-death experiences that, I've, that have ever passed, that I've ever experienced, right? Plane crash, tortured in a POW camp, surviving 47 days adrift with no food, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. He said, of all of my near-death experiences, my life never passed before my eyes. But when Billy Graham quoted scripture, my life did pass before my eyes. I saw it all. He said, my life passed before my eyes and I saw an ugly life. He said, yeah, I had some good times. I had a lot of great experiences. I had a lot of escapes from death, but I still didn't like my life after the war. It was terrible. He said, that night, he went forward and accepted Christ. And he said the biggest miracle of his life was set in motion. He said, I knew I was through getting drunk. 
I knew I was through smoking. I knew I'd forgiven all the guards, including this guard that he named the bird. He said, it never dawned on me that, that again, that I, that I hated the guy. He said, that was the first night in all of those years since the war that I'd never had a nightmare. And he said, I haven't had one since. That's the peace that's available to us. Here's the crazy thing. Louis Zamperini, as an older man, went back to Japan, back to the prison camp where he was tortured and nearly killed, and reunited with a handful of the guards, including the one who did the most damage to him. And he forgave them. And in the book, in the movie, it talks about this. In the book, it talks about this, that book he wrote is called Captured by Grace. So that even some of those men, some of those guards who had tortured and, and killed and hurt so many, so many soldiers, when they were forgiven by Louis, it didn't make any sense. It was, a, it was beyond understanding. So much so the fact that they said, hey, we're ready to believe in Jesus too. If this is what Jesus does, we want in. And some of those men gave their life to Christ. That's a simple life. That's an uncomplicated, uncluttered, simple life. It's not a life full of self-righteousness or religious garbage. It is the relationship that you have with Jesus, the faith you have in Jesus, the faithfulness that follows. The releasing of the things that we worry about and stress about so that we can embrace God and be embraced by God. So this morning, that's what we're offering. And that's what we offer every Sunday here at Adventure. We offer the simple life, the simple gospel that Jesus gave his life for us so that we could live our lives with God. God with us, God within us. And so today, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, if you've never done that, and you wanna have a conversation about Jesus, I'd love to do that. We can meet, you can meet me down front. If you wanna join this church family, also would love to meet you down front. If you need prayer today, would love to pray with you. Or if you just wanna spend some time, there's a place over here where you can sit and pray. It's all you, it's open. We're gonna sing one more song before we go. And it's a new song. But I want you to, if, if you don't know, if you, if you catch it, sing along. But, but pay attention to the lyrics because this is exactly what we've been talking about with this whole series because at some point, our faith and faithfulness have got to move from Sunday morning to Monday, to Tuesday, to Wednesday, to Thursday, to Friday, to Saturday, and come back around again. Church is both, it's both a landing place and a launch pad. It's a place for us to come in and land to be healed and, and, and helped, but it's also the place that we launch from into the next week. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna sing one more song. Jesus, we love you. We pray this morning that, that we too can have a faith and faithfulness like Louis that is unbreakable. That yeah, our bodies fail, and, and yeah, we, we deal with things like stress and, and mental health. We deal with sickness, we deal with physical things, Father, but at the end of the day, you're sovereign. You are close to us. You have loving authority in our lives, and you have command authority over this whole world. And so Jesus, today I pray, that we can strip back all of the stuff where we try to make our lives look better than they are, Lord, that we can, we can bring the things that we thought we could never say to anybody to you and here, you're forgiven. Father, it's not too late. We're not broken, we're not, we're not damaged goods, we're not beyond repair. We're not too messy or too broken. Father, some of us in the room have survived a lot. 
We have lots of reasons to hate. We have lots of reasons to be anxious. We have lots of reasons. There are triggers that come up in our lives, Father, that, that all those experiences and all those feelings and all those conversations, they start echoing in our heads and our hearts again. Father, today I pray, just like what Louis said, listen, like my whole life passed before my eyes and it was an ugly life, but, but because of Jesus, it's, it's now different. You redeem things that are unredeemable, Father, that we said, listen, there's, there's no way any of this can change. You repurpose our lives. You renovate who we are. We say yes to your invitation into a simple life, a life of loving you and knowing you. Jesus, we pray all this in your name.